Ott van még Nikolic. Nígó felé, Nígó helyzetben! Gól! Gól! Nígó kiegyenlít! Bravo, Loik! Bravo, Lolikám! Lajos! Szép gól volt! Sallai! Azon mellett még el tudjuk hozni. Sőt, Szoboszlai kap labdát. Szoboszlai előtte Nikolic bent középült könyves. Szoboszlai! Könyves szép helyet csinált neki! Szoboszlai lő! Gól! Hello and welcome to the Hungarian Football Podcast. It's me again, Tomáš Mortimer, on my own. And we have another special guest, as you probably can tell by the title. Um, we're talking all things Germany today. And we've got one of German football's brightest minds in, in my opinion, a writer for The Times and BBC in England and a, and a few German publications and also um, editor-in-chief of Spielberg.com, uh, the football analytics website, which... Um, Istvan Beregi, one of our um, leading lights in Hungary, is uh, a writer. Um, Konstantin Ekner, welcome to the show. Hey, Tomáš, how is it going? Yeah, yeah, really good, thank you. So, Germany, you've had a bit of a um, recent up-and-down form, obviously losing to, to North Macedonia last time out. Um, how, how, do, how did Germany go into this tournament? What are the expectations? Uh, I mean, it's hard to say. Hard to say actually, because uh, I mean, on the one hand, you think like the the group, the team is is talented enough to at least get to the quarterfinals and maybe maybe even semifinals. But on the other hand, you have like all these hiccups, and you had had these hiccups uh, in recent times. I mean, last year, of course, the the six nil defeat uh, by the hands of Spain, and then um, in the recent international break in March, you got a two decent performances against Romania and Iceland, but then again, you lo uh, Germany lost against North Macedonia, which is, um, seems far, uh, seems kind of heard, uh, unheard of. So, mm. I mean, it's really hard, hard to say. Uh, there, there are a lot of doubts about Germany's uh, prospects at, at this tournament. Um, it's just the, 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 the entire mood surrounding the national team is kind of down um i mean even the attendance numbers before the pandemic were were, were were low in comparison that's why the the national team actually started playing in smaller stadiums because they couldn't fill, fill out the big arenas anymore i mean of course the pandemic has kind of stopped it uh, stopped this discussion at all but still i mean yeah not a lot of people have faith in this german team at the time but you kind of look at the team on on paper and obviously paper is, is a very um, different thing to how it translates on the pitch but like the team is still really good um, maybe lacking a little bit up top but like even though Werner hasn't really been scoring at Chelsea he's still been very good in other parts of the game and then you've now got Thomas Muller back and, and Mats Hummels like is there a chance that maybe this German team maybe find their form in this in this tournament like out of nowhere or, or I mean It's a hard, hard question to answer, but like, do, do you think that there is a potential that they could maybe cause an upset in that first game and then, and then actually have quite a positive tournament? 
Yeah, I'm. I'm not sure. I mean, I'm, uh, maybe I would have been more positive uh, before the recent defeat against North Macedonia because that was kind of a bummer, uh, to be honest. Because the, as I as I said, like the the previous matches, the two at least uh, were you know promising, and you were thinking maybe you know maybe Löw has something going on there. You know, his last couple of months with the with the national team, maybe. Maybe, 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 you know, a lot of maybes, but more on the positives, uh, you know, more positive side. Uh, but then again, you have like an embarrassing defeat. I mean, think about it. Like, uh, I think Germ- Germany has only lost three European qualifying ma- or uh, World Cup qualifying matches uh, in its history. Um, and the North Macedonia one is one of the three. <laughs> the other, the yeah. others are England in 2001 and, and another one. I think against Portugal in the 80s. But that's that's about it. That's the only three losses in oh. World Cup qualification rounds. Uh, so, I mean, that was actually a historic defeat in a way. Because, like, Germans uh, are not really used to uh, getting beaten um, at uh, during World Cup qualification rounds. Or, you know, get get beaten at all at, at this rate. Uh, because even this, this Spain loss was historic. Because I think the last time mm-hmm. Germany suffered a defeat like that with six or seven goals was... Um, I think dur- during the Weimar Republic time in the 1920s or something. Wow. It was pre- pre-Nazi time, so there you go. I mean, uh, it's really, it's really, it's an historic time, uh, historic time period for the national team, but not in a good way. Um, so that's why I'm kind of like hesitant to really uh, say, all right, yeah, I mean the group is talented, so uh, why not? Why not have mm-hmm. an, have have a positive tournament or a good tournament, a successful tournament? Um, I'm I'm not sure. I mean, when you look at the team. Um, yeah, you mentioned Thomas Müller and Mats Hummels, and it was kind of a last-minute call to get them back after they were dropped from the team uh, a few years ago of, in 2019, when, when basically, basically Löw decided to, you know, start, start with only, almost only young players. Um, you know, you wanted mm-hmm. to have a new team, basically rebuild the team with younger guys, um, although his, his approach wasn't really concise uh, because he didn't drop Toni Kroos, who's also in his 30s now, uh, but he dropped Müller and and Hummels and Boateng, which was you know why, why these two these three, but not Kroos, who is also older, you know, or Manuel Neuer, who is also an older guy now. Um, so it was kind of weird. Um, but yeah, uh, apart from 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 these two veterans, you got of course Tony Kroos, as I mentioned, but you got also a couple of other players who are in their prime right now, Kimmich, uh, Goretzka from Bayern Munich, um, Serge Gnabry. Uh, Leroy Sané from Bayern Munich, um, Timo Werner. I mean, as as, mu- as, as much as a uh, up and down road uh, his Chelsea season has been, still, I mean, he's, he's one of the more talented guys. Um, so, I mean, yeah, you can look at the team and say, all right, they should be capable of, you know, achieving at least something at this tournament. But on the other end, you see them um, fumbling matches left and right. And I think if you compare the current team to the uh, 2014 World Cup winning team. Um, then you see that maybe the current group is as talented as the 2014 team, but the 2014 team ha- had more uh, leadership. Um, you know, Schweinsteiger, for instance, Philipp Lahm, you know, more leaders, more uh, nitty-gritty players who can also, especially in, in matches where things don't go your way, where they might, might be able to turn things around a little bit and, and, you know, be coaches on the field, because that's what's lacking right now. you got Löw, who's a so-so coach, and and you got not anyone on the field who's who might be like a player coach type of guy. That's no you you don't have one. But with Schweinsteiger and Lahm, you got these two 
2014, and that was a major part of Germany winning the World Cup at the time. Yeah, and I guess like teams just come to the end of their cycle after a while, and it's probably just kind of hard to keep that motivation up. I mean, we saw it with France at the turn of the century, um, a little bit like Brazil after the after they won the 2002 World Cup. Like teams, I guess it's kind of hard to keep regenerating that success and that enthusiasm within the team and especially when you've got the same manager like when we kind of look back on Love's time as Germany manager kind of how would you assess it like uh, people would say oh yeah he's won a World Cup which is amazing but then you also look at it like he's had an incredibly talented squad and he's only won one trophy out of that like what how would you kind of assess it? Yeah, I mean, I, I wrote about it when when Löw announces his resignation or his upcoming resignation uh, a couple of, of months ago. Um, and I think if he if he would have retired um, or you know resigned from the team and and uh, did something else uh, after the 2014 World World Cup, we would look at his tenure as national coach much more uh, much more favorably. Uh, but now, because after the 2014 World Cup. Now we got another seven years of good and bad performances, including the historic uh, disaster at the 2018 World Cup. Um, going out during the group stage is also something uh, Germany's just not used to. Mm-hmm. It's just for, I mean, that I, if you look at it, I mean, of course there were different tournament formats, but basically there was only once, had only been once. Uh, one one more time uh, for a German national team that they went out during a group stage or after a group stage yeah. uh, at, at, at a big tournament at, at a big World Cup tournament at least. Um, so I mean that's, that's again that's something where people think like what's going on actually here, right? Um, so I think retire resigning after uh, 2014, I think people would have looked back and said, yeah, well he achieved something great, you know, winning the World Cup. Even for a team like Germany, it's not something that comes easy um, and he, he made the best of the team. He also reached um, a couple of, of semifinals and the 2008 Euro finals, uh, final. So, I mean, you could look back and say, yeah, well, I, I mean, he did well for, for himself, you know, um, but then, as I said, like he continued and it didn't get, it didn't get better. It, it, it got worse. Um, so I think people look at him as, as someone who is um, okay coach who might have some understanding of, of or, or has a decent understanding of the game, who might come up with a good idea tactically every once in a while, but also someone who is not uh, in the in the in the upper echelon league of, of or in the upper echelon of coaches uh, internationally. You know, he's not uh, in the same space as Thomas Tuchel, Pep Guardiola, and so on. You know, these type of coaches. He's 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 at least two two notches below them. Um, and also people, and that's more of an inside look, people look at his per- person and his kind of his career at the German, with the German FA as someone who was probably good uh, in terms of making friends with people in the German FA. And the German FA had, has, their, has its own kind of scandal right now with the chairman uh, resigning or being forced to resign and the, and the deputy chairman also kind of being forced out the door. So... Um, and I think the German FA has been looked at as as um, somewhat of a shady organization. Uh, I mean, they had diff- various chairmans, and you know there are always uh, minor and bigger scandals. And and Löw was kind of um, 
smart in how he uh, secured his spot. You know, not that he was involved in these scandals. I, I don't say mm-hmm. that, but he was smart uh, in, in in making the right friends and you know being in a position where the German FA was actually comfortable with him. Because that's also something you have to understand. Even if the national team didn't win a tournament or was it disappointing at the tournament, it wasn't like that. Uh, all of a sudden, the people at the German FA were like, "All right, we have to change things up because uh, you know it's embarrassing or something." No, they were comfortable keeping Löw because he he's someone who's n- not af- offending anyone. He's not uh, having or making any grand demands or so. So he's easy to work with. Mm-hmm. He's you know that the maintenance, <laughs> the maintenance costs were quite low other than his his yearly yearly salary. Um, so I think I think that's also something that's why he, they kept him. There's some complacency uh, with the when it comes to a German FA, and and the national team because the national team is also they are of course winning trophies is is a part a part of of a national team. But a German a national team is also kind of marketed as a you know role models and like it's our premium product and so on. Like even if they if they don't win, you know they, they you can still shoot a couple of advertising spots with them. You know advertising Mercedes Benz or something with them because you know they're all smiling and. Uh, handsome guys who's you know diverse group you know some with migrant backgrounds and so on and you can just use them for advertising purposes or something and it's all good you know (laughs) a lot of a lot of sizzle and and not so much steak (laughs) (laughs) so with all this kind of chaos that's going on and and probably apathy as well from from the fans like is there any build-up of excitement or is it kind of oh my god i can't wait for this tournament to be over so we can get on with new things with Hansi flick yeah, I mean, uh, I, I don't want to uh, to make this answer too long, but maybe if you look a little bit uh, at it from a somewhat historic perspective, you know, somewhat historic perspective, of course, after reunification in 1990, you know, Germany becoming one country again and so on and so on, um, there was some hesitation towards the German national team by the more, you know, general public or let's say the moderate public, you know, the, I don't know, you know, the, the just normal football fans, because there was in France, 19, uh, 1998, there were, you know, Nazis among the fans and uh, especially the, the supporters of the national team were, uh, there were a, a large chunk or a considerable chunk at least of national team supporters were, you know, among the skinheads and like the patriots and, and also nationalists and, and kind of this, this kind of, kind of people were there. Um, and you, some remember maybe what happened in 1998, where, where there were German hooligans at the tournament, and you know there was the, there was the incident with the with the police officer who was almost gotten beaten to death and stuff like that. So I mean, th- there were a lot of people who were kind of not really engaging with the national team too much. Maybe they were, of course, they were watching the games, but they were not as excited about the German national team. And also, the German national team was playing crap most of the time. You know, it was just not attractive football. Um, and then 2006 happened that the the World Cup a- at home. Uh, and, and all of a sudden, like people were, you know, carrying flags through the streets, and there was some uh, positive patriotism, you know, football patriotism. It wasn't, it wasn't uh, nationalistic patriotism. It was more like, all right, we are a fan of this team, and we are a fan of this group, and we are wearing the jerseys, and we are carrying the flags in a more positive way, and and, and in a more open-minded way. And it's also a different country than maybe in the 1980s or so, where there was a lot of uh, xenophobia, xenophobia in Germany. Um, so. Um, and from that on, from 2006 on, there was a certain hype around the team because the team was also playing attractive football, even though it wasn't winning the tournaments, but it was still attractive football um, up until 2016. Now, 2016, German national team wasn't playing that well after the World Cup, but all right, can happen, right? One hiccup, no issue. Uh, but it was really uh, 
the, the team and Löw as the key figure and so on, they were really fumbling it and they were really um, off-putting in a way. You know, they were alienating uh, some people in Germany, uh, fans, you know, with kind of their style. And like Löw is also kind of a, it's a weird, it's a weird figure in football. I mean, if people follow have followed him, he is is the kind of coach who's drinking espresso at the sideline. <laughs> he has done that a couple of times. So like, all right. Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't know if that goes down well with football fans. You know, what's going, you know, kind of what's going on with him. Uh, and also, some of his press conferences are kind of, you know, he comes off arrogant and like, kind of, uh, I don't care about what you guys say. You know, you're plebs. Uh, so kind of, the, <laughs> kind of this kind of style. So of course, there are football fans who might like him because he's more of a modern type coach and a modern type personality. You know, he's he's not he's certainly not someone who is out of the 60s or 70s or 80s. Uh, but in your end, there are also football fans who think like, who the hell is this one? You know, um, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, I don't want to uh, use the f- uh, phrase uh, proper football man, but even like even Pep Guardiola is much more of a proper football man than maybe Joachim Löw. Although, I mean, Löw was a professional football player and was a strike on the second Bundesliga, second uh, division in Germany. So, but still, I mean, he has kind of <laughs> developed a personality where you think like, all right, he's a little bit out there. Mm-hmm. Um and, and and he's not he's not alone, you know. There's his assistants are kind of that, and some people at the German FA are like that. And the sporting director of the German national team, Oliver Bierhoff, former Milan striker, is kind of like that, and so on. Um, so, I think the the interest in the national team vanished because of varying factors, as I just explained. You know, Löw, uh, kind of the style of the team, the success was not there anymore, and and also one more thing, and then I come to the to the current uh, to the upcoming tournament. There was also the belief at the German FA that that they wanted to change the atmosphere at the matches. So what they want to ha- wanted to have at these national match uh, at these at these national team matches was fans who are um, more modern in the eyes of the German FA in, in a way that uh, they are you know that like that's a great team and it's a great product and it's all about the product and you know it's a pri- premier product and blah 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 it's like really it, it went that way so they were alienating the the more traditional football fans who were all about yeah let's let's cheer for our team and like let's push them forward and they were replacing them with what's called in in Germany or folks fans which fans are just there to see successful teams or a successful team you know they are not really behind the team they just want to see some uh, team that's successful so what happens if the team is not successful anymore now they found out yeah well <laughs> these fans that are just in there to see you know successful football they are not there anymore so yeah. that's why they had to move to smaller stadiums that's why there are only 15 20,000 people at the, at the matches in a stadium with a capacity of 40,000 or so that's why you're almost talking was, like the you're almost talking like the gentrification of german football almost. in a way yes yes in a way it was that in a way it was like that um uh, that was also the they they coined the f- uh, phrase the mannschaft like the team you know the mannschaft um and, and like all these uh, these spots and it was all high high class high premium high quality you know was almost like a little bit like hollywood <laughs> um yeah what well, i mean you know 4k advertising spots everyone was was uh you know dressed tr- uh, you know dressed with hugo boss uh, actually, yeah, Hugo Boss. Actually, I think that, that the company that that's that's providing the the suits and everything, you know, they were all like like looking like in a Hugo Boss uh, advertising spot, which is all right. I, I like I, I personally like Hugo Boss. I wear Hugo Boss, but I mean, <laughs> you know, for football, you need a little bit of the of the uh, let's say a, a middle of the road approach, where yeah. maybe 
professional players can look, you know, can dress decently and, and so on and so on. But they should also look like footballers and the team should still like look like a, you know, a fighting force and like there's some crit and, and some blood and sweat and tears. So and that was not the case with the team anymore. So that's why the interest in the team has vanished. And and besides all the all the trouble with the team and the, and the sport, sporting you know uh, hiccups and so on, there's just not gen- no general interest in the team right now. There there won't be a lot of flags carried around during the tournament. There won't be a lot of people wearing football jerseys during the tournament. It just won't be the case. Maybe if they reach the final, yeah, then people will jump on the bandwagon again. Yeah, of mm. course, right. But up until maybe the semifinal or so, people will just be like, whatever, whatever, you know, whatever. It, we, it, we kind of, it feels like so far removed from what the outsiders see German football of being as well. Like it, 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 more than any country in Europe, yeah, Europe especially, mm-hmm. like German football has this perception of being the game for the fans as well, like very, like very real. Um, very like real football fandom. So to to even like take that approach with the national team, I can understand why some like you'd want to kind of monetize it in that fashion. But it just like I say, it just feels so far removed from what German football is. Yeah, because I mean, what you see and what what a lot of people internationally perceive as kind of the German fan culture that's that's only tied to clubs. Yeah. So I mean, you see, of course, right now it's, it's really hard to assess what the situation is right now because it's like ghost games, you know, no fans. Uh, but but look at a club like Schalke, Schalke, you know, one of the big traditional powerhouses in Germany. They just got relegated to the to the second division, to the second Bundesliga or Bundesliga two. Um, now I mean, we don't know, but they will still have a lot of fans at the matches once this uh, pandemic is over, once there are fans again and uh, you know, being allowed in the stadiums. They will still have 30,000, 35,000 people at their matches in Bundesliga 2 or maybe even more, maybe 50,000. Hamburg, you know, who, run, who have been now in their third year in the second Bundesliga, uh, had 30,000, 35,000 uh, fans. And and of course, the, the, the or even more successful clubs like Dortmund and so on, they have a big fan culture. They have fans, so many it's it's kind of ridiculous in a way, and it's really it's it, in, the, in the in the style and the matches are much more made for the fans. Sure, there's yeah. also monetization, and you know these clubs want to earn money and they want to monetize and capitalize on the fan culture in a way. But it's it's much more for the fans and it's much more fan driven. And of course, you got also all the clubs or almost all the clubs uh, membership owned. Yeah. Terrarian decrees and and it's kind of you know it's uh, there are there are some uh, some trapdoors there but still I mean the, the clubs are still owned by the members uh, and the members are fans and you got you got when you look at the membership numbers uh, internationally you, you, there are two countries leading Portugal and Germany you got Benfica and Sporting and Porto and so on with a, with a huge membership base and you got Bayern Munich Schalke Dortmund Eintracht Frankfurt and so on with huge membership bases mm-hmm. uh, and so but the German the German national team is team of the German FA and the German FA has alienated most of the members I mean the German FA has 6 million members all the football players all the all the you know all the football players and so on are members of the German FA but the amateur clubs for instance are uh, are almost starting a revolution or you know rebellion against the German FA because of how they are treated by the German FA so yeah it's kind of complex but uh, it's, it's really the German the German national team is so far removed from the German clubs it's 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 not funny. It's really uh, so. If you look at German fan culture, don't look at the German team. Look at the clubs. You know, 
uh, yeah. be, be Dortmund, be it St. Pauli, be it Hamburg, whatever. I, I, I don't care. It's really, um, you know, e- even in the lower level leagues, they, you have fan culture there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's really, really interesting. Zsindul Szalai, és vissza lehet tenni Kleinheislenek, és újra Szalainak, és ott a gól a helyzet, és a gól, és a gól! Szalai vezet Magyarország! 550 nap után be lehet azt piszkálni, pöckölni, tuckolni! Egy ide! És micsoda támadás volt! I guess for a lot of Hungarian fans listening to this, it's probably getting them quite excited because this apathy and this chaos and um, this downbeat, uh, in, uh, well, lack of complete enthusiasm is probably only going to play into Hungary's hands. Um, it's a question that a few people have asked on Twitter, Gurgo uh, and Griezmann Chief, uh, or a couple who have asked this question, like, how do you kind of expect the game to go against Hungary? I know you. You guys are at home. I, I don't, is it how many fans? Are, I, I don't know. You can answer, answer answer that question for me. How many fans are there? But like, how do you kind of expect that game to go? I mean, Hungary's team on paper is far inferior to to what Germany have, and obviously you guys are at home. But like, do you kind of still expect us to to roll us over, or is there kind of like a worry in you and maybe the rest of the the country that like this could be so bad that we might even end up not being Hungary as well? <laughs> Yeah, really, I mean, right now, the German football public, so to say, looks at this tournament uh, kind of, all right, we start playing against France and Portugal. Worst case scenario is like Germany loses both matches. Mm. Now it becomes interesting because, of course, because of the new regulation format, you can still uh, qualify for the the round of 16 uh, being third in your group, you know, it depends a little bit on, on what's going on in our groups, but but you can still uh, qualify for the next round. So, I mean, let's say Germany only gets one point maybe against Portugal and loses against France, which is kind of a realistic scenario, right? if you ask me. Uh, then the match against Hungary becomes much more of a do-or-die situation. And I think in, in a vacuum, just playing Hungary, Germany usually should beat Hungary. Mm-hmm. Um, not steamroll Hungary, but but beat them. Um, especially, I mean, Germany has has won a couple of matches against these against the mid-level teams in Europe, because what you, what you usually have is like the, the the kind of mid-level teams, you know, the or the, the the top top ten, top top fifteen teams maybe. Uh, they try to to be not too passive, you know, just be part of the game, just, just you know, uh, have their moments and also uh, do something and not just park the bus. So that, that usually opens up something for Germany where they can capitalize on, on a couple of the mistakes, you know, counter-press uh, and, and, and uh, counter-attack. So um, that's usually give, giving uh, Germany some options. I think it's uh, sometimes much more difficult for a German team to break down a deep-sitting team, a really deep-sitting team, like, like North Macedonia, like they had I don't know, 25% ball possession or something. You know, they were just, just, mm. just so deep, uh, par- parking free buses uh, <laughs> and, and, and another, another couple of, of uh, limousines, you know, right in front of the goal. And, and they are going to, of course, they got Goran Pandev, the old old man up front. And, and that's what basically their strategy. Like, all right. And Germany really had, had problems dealing with them. Uh, but, you know, playing against Romania or Iceland is the way there's a team. All right. I mean, they are not as good as Germany, but they try to, you know, they try to have their moments. They try to uh, play some football. They, they try to have their build-up situations and build-up moments. 
uh, then Germany can capitalize on it. Then they can have counterattacks, uh, you know, through Serge Knabry and Leroy Sané and Timo Werner or Kai Harvards and so on. Um, because th these people or these players are, of course, in, I mean, they are made for counterattacking football. Because, I mean, Leroy Sané, like, tr mm -hmm. try stopping him. Or yeah. Serge Knabry, tr try, <laughs> like, I mean, once once they are going, they are, they are, they are gone. Um, so, and even like Joshua Kimmich, for instance, like he plays a, a tremendous uh, transition ball. And like, if he, if he gets the ball, if he, uh, you know, uh, forces a turnover, like his first touch and like the transition ball uh, is, is like tremendous because he can play this like 20, 30 yards range passes, like, mm -hmm. like no one else basically in, in, in European football. And Tony Kroos the same, or Ilkay Gundogan. So uh, I think Hungary in a vacuum should be, uh, should be beaten by Germany. However, if there's a situation where Germany is basically forced to beat them, or as it would be like the kind of the uh, another disaster, I don't know. Maybe they have some nerves. They show some nerves uh, because then, you know, and maybe Hungary doesn't have anything to lose because, like, who cares? I mean, if if I mean, not who cares, but like it's more like, all right, if we beat Germany, there would be, of course, a sensation. If we lose to Germany, no one will like fault us for it yeah. <laughs> because we are the outsiders. Um, so, I guess. There's the idea that uh, Germany might get nervous and might get anxious, and then who knows what's what's going on. In a vacuum, they should beat Hungary, but I think it really depends on the situation and the tournament, how it goes. And also, if you lose two matches against Portugal and France, I mean, like the little bit of self-confidence you had going into this tournament is probably uh, down the river at that point. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned Kimmich. Another question from Twitter here. Um, it's from Luca, who says... Um, would it be better for Kimmich to play right back or because is Klosterman a serious option throughout the tournament? Um, I guess from what you just say there, it's probably likely he'll play in centre mid. Yeah, probably. Um, I mean, the the situation is that, that Dortmund, uh, that Dortmund that Germany has a has a stacked midfield. Um, you got Kimmich, you got Kroos, you got Ilkay Gundogan, and mm. and usually at least one sh would be benched, probably either Gundogan or Kroos, and you got also Leon Goretzka. Um, who's, who's also ben on the bench probably for most of the time at least, or you know coming off the bench uh, most in most matches. Uh, but Kimmich is probably too valuable um, in center midfield. Still, there is an issue because right now if Löw plays a back four with just a traditional right back, Klostermann is more or less the only option. Uh, mm. There are some weird, like, kind of, you know, you could play Matthias Ginter or you could play Emre Can from Borussia Dortmund or something. But, you know, that's like kind of, uh, yeah, uh, emergency solutions in a way. Uh, so close to mine is the only serious right back solution right now. Um, and, 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 you know, considering that he has played as a center back for at least at least 50 percent of or more than 50 percent of his matches for Leipzig this season. So. I mean, it's also uh, makes makes things uh, even more difficult. If play if, if Löw plays with a back three, then things are a little bit different. Then you might even see someone like Lira Sané playing as the right wing back, but as yeah. a attacking wide wing back, uh, as a attacking wing back. Um, so we will see. Um, Kimmich as the right back, it might happen at some point because uh, if. Um, if if Klosterman doesn't really perform that well, uh, Löw might think about it. Um, just, I mean, in recent tournaments, or not even recent tournaments, just in, in tournaments in general, like the fullback situation for Germany has been kind of difficult. And and even during the World Cup 2014, the world in you know, the World Cup that Germany won, 
uh, the right-back situation was a concern, at least the left-back situation, because you, uh, Löw played Benedikt Hövedes as the left-back, who was actually a centre-back at Schalke. And he, and he played he played the left back like he was a center back. He basically never <laughs> went, he, he never crossed the midfield line or the halfway line, or he barely crossed the halfway line. He was just was kind of a third center back. Um, so yeah, I mean, who knows? Maybe some, we will see something like that again. That uh, Löw just say, oh, all right, screw it. We I play a center back at right back, um, and just try my best to you know uh, work work around things. So yeah, yeah. fullback situation is really weird, and I mean. There are not many fullbacks of of a decent level uh, in Germany right now. Yeah, I feel like I remember Mustafi playing now in that World Cup as well. Uh, yeah, maybe... of course. I mean, just, I mean, uh, I, like if you look at all the kind of all the centre backs or all the fullbacks and the, and the you know kind of kind of replacement fullbacks, uh, Löw has tried out, and I, that's something where I won't criticize him because when you don't have the personnel, I mean, you have yeah. to try things out. What can you do? I mean, he's yeah. just he has to work with what he has. Especially, I mean, that's the kind of the faith of a uh, the fate of a of a uh, national coach, right? I mean, you can't just sign someone. Mm. Um, uh, if you look at the at the group of of fullbacks he has tried out, I, this I mean, uh, it must be like twenty five or thirty people. Um, yeah. And there was some, you know, and yeah, as he said, like Mustafi played as a right back, Matthias Ginter has played as a right back, uh, Thilo Kera from from Paris Saint Germain, he looked like the first choice right back for for a while, uh, but then he was benched and and uh, usually sat on the bench uh, for Paris. So, well, um, not really an argument to, to be made there. Um, yeah, and he try, even left back is the same. Like even right now, I mean, he has selected uh, Robin Gosens from Atalanta Bergamo and uh, Marcel Halstenberg from RB Leipzig. Uh, look at Halstenberg. Halstenberg has not been offered a new contract by Leipzig. Mm. Well, that's not a sign that he's <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's high up the food chain. Um, yeah. And and Robin Gosens, yeah, I mean, he, they kind of lucked into him. He plays for Atalanta. He has never really he has never really played in Germany. Um, so kind of they lucked into him. And then there's Philipp Max at PSV Eindhoven. Uh, and then there's uh, Nico Schulz at Dortmund, who's not playing at Dortmund. Uh, kind of, it's, it's really weird. And Jonas Hector for Cologne, who's a left-back, but now he's a center midfielder at Cologne. So, of course, he's not playing. Um, yeah, Plattenhardt and, like, all these names. I mean, if, uh, it's, it's funny because if you look at the center midfield, you got, you got basically in the center midfield, you got four world-class midfielders. Yeah. Kimmich, Kroos, Gündogan and Goretzka. You can make an argument, of course, Kroos gets older and so on. You can make some arguments, but I think four world-class midfielders. Zer Schnapri and Lira Sané, two world-class wingers. Um, Thomas Müller being back, one of the you know best strikers attacking midfielders in the past 20 years or so, in my opinion. Um, can make an argument about that, at least. you know, Arguably one of the best attacking midfielders. I mean, just look at his resume um, and what he's done internationally also. So, I mean, that's kind of right. That's a, you know, that's a, that's a team that can compete at the highest level. And then you look at the fullbacks and I think like, all right, we are back to second division football. Yeah. Well, I, think I almost feel sorry for Löw in a way because, especially in the modern game, like fullbacks are so important. Like it completely changes the dynamic of your team if you don't have any attacking wingbacks or fullbacks. Mm-hmm. Like if, you, if you're if you playing centre-halves at fullback, it means like, yeah, you've got no width and over... Like especially if you're kind of playing like a 4-2-3-1 and like with inverted wingers and you, you kind of rely on those fullbacks to get past 
past the men and, and stretch the game. Like it is really, it's, it's, it just hold like holds you back and makes you a lot a lot more predictable. Um, so yeah, I kind of feel sorry for him in a, in a way. Um, it's a couple of, a couple of questions we've had regarding the lineup. Um, do you want to just take us through kind of what how you expect Germany to line up all the way through? Um, if yeah, starting in defence and yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's it's not quite clear uh, what Löw will do in terms of the the defense line. If he will prefer back four, back three, he he has played a back four more often recently. Uh, but he also went back to the back three in some matches, so it's not sure. But if if we say he uses a back four, um, of course, Manuel Neuer will play as the goalkeeper. Uh, Mark Andre Stegen. Uh, who is this challenger at the German national team? He's, he's injured. He's not uh, w- with with the team at the tournament. So uh, Manuel Neuer is, of course, you know, <laughs> I mean, there's no argument to be made about him uh, that, that he's the number one goalkeeper in Germany. Um, so uh, I think Mats Hummels will be back uh, as, as one of the two centre-backs. Uh, that's why he was selected. He wouldn't have selected him if he'd just uh, be a bench player. That's not, you know, Mats Hummels is also has too much of an ego to just come back to sit on the bench. Uh, I think uh, Niklas Süle from Bayern Munich might be the se- second centre-back for most of the matches, uh, or Antonio Rüdiger from Chelsea, but I think Antonio Rüdiger is more valuable in the back three. So it will, it will probably be uh, Niklas Süle. Uh, Right-back might be Klostermann, as we mentioned, or left-back Gosens from Atalanta. Um, then Kimmich and Groß in centre-midfield. Uh, Thomas Müller as the number 10. Uh, Serge Knapri and, and Leroy Sané as the two wingers. I mean, they can switch sides doesn't really matter. I think Napoli prefers to play on the right side, and and Timo Werner as the as the centre forward. There's also an option that maybe Kimmich, Kroos, and Gündoğan play as a midfield uh, trio, and uh, Müller plays as the number ten, and Serge Knapri and Leroy Sané play as a as a two man, uh, yeah, two man team up front basically. Uh, you know, without a real centre forward, just the two in a, basically a diamond formation with the two up front. And, and Müller in between. So and also like Müller, I mean he wasn't he hasn't played a factor or he hasn't been a factor in the German national team for for two years now. Uh, but you know bringing him back means he will play most of the time. I mean you don't bring him back uh, with all the kind of things that have been reported and like all the media coverage you have now about him uh, with, and then bench him. So yeah. I mean and also because he's, the the other the other option for the number ten position is. Um, is Kai Havertz, who has had troubles at Chelsea during the season and who might not be ready to really uh, carry a lot of responsibility at, at this tournament. I mean, his time will come, but later. Uh, so that's that's the formation of 4-3-3 four, four, or 4-2-3-1 or so. And if he if uh, Löw plays a back three, then you've got pr- uh, most likely Hummels in the middle uh, because he can also play as, as the you know middle piece of a, of a back three. Um, might be Ginter as the right-sided centre-back and, and Rüdiger as the left-sided centre-back. These two are experienced in playing in back threes. Um, then you might see something like Lira Sané on the right side as a wing-back. You know, it might be possible, something like that. Um, uh, and on the left side, it might just be Gosens because he can play wing-back or full-back. It doesn't really matter. Uh, Kimmich and Kroos in the middle. Uh, and, and then, you know, you got Müller and, and probably Serge Knappri and Lira Sané. I mean, Serge Knappri, Lira Sané and Thomas Müller are three players who are more or, less, more or less set in stone. They will play in the starting eleven, just like Kimmich and Kroos, or especially Kimmich. You know, they, that's, that's, that's the Bayern, that's the group of Bayern players and they will 
they will play him for most of the time, unless they are injured, unless they are, you know, not fit, unless there are something going on where they are not at 100%. But if they are, they will start. It's a really scary team, to be honest. And I, I know you guys aren't in form and like, there's, there's so much apathy around, but it is really scary on paper. Um, I guess, like, last question before we wrap up. Um, how do you think you will do? How, how do you think Germany will, will do in this group? And it, it's a tough question, but, like, is there a chance that you could you could go quite far, maybe, potentially? Yeah, I see them more uh, reaching the quarterfinals, and then it depends a little bit on what the you know what the tour is. It's really hard to say because of the of the new format. It's really hard to predict mm-hmm. what actually you know uh, which te- team they are facing and where they will play and so on. Uh, because I, I mean, in a way, it, it's kind of an advantage to play in Munich. That they will play the first three matches in Munich, in the Allianz Arena. I mean, uh, ca- ca- some of the Bayern players. I, I don't know. I have, I think they will still be uh, part of the training camp, which is uh, close to Munich. Uh, but I mean, they can more or less like roll out of bed and go to the match. You know, the Bayern players, especially, and and even like someone like Mats Hummels, who's who's from from that area. So, <laughs> I mean, these guys can basically roll out of bed and go to the match. So, I mean, that ki- might be an advantage as opposed to maybe you know a traditional tournament where you are somewhere and you know sleeping in a hotel and so on. So, um, yeah, I mean, I guess they can, they might reach the quarterfinals and then it really depends on, on who they are facing. Um, as I said, like Germany, they have the potential to beat the, the mid-level teams, uh, the teams that are uh, willing to play with Germany a little bit, you know, where they, where they are not too passive, not too uh, new to kind of uh, Mourinho uh, being international coach in the semifinals of the of the Champions League or something like that, more, <laughs> more like all right, we are you know we are here to participate and also uh, participate in the action and <laughs> not just park the bus. Um, and Germany might be uh, capable of of uh, beating some of the better teams even uh, because of the the counter attacking uh, talent they have. Uh, but they are not capable right now of beating France, I think. Uh, or beating maybe England or so, you know, the best teams. Uh, because that's also something in the past few years, Germany, they, they really haven't done too well against the top-notch teams. And like there's an argument, like, who are these teams right now? I mean, France, of course, maybe Belgium, I don't know. Uh, yeah. It's really hard to say. Um, would you put Portugal in that group? Well, I mean, I would, I would have put them in there a few years ago. I, I'm not sure about it anymore. I mean, Ronaldo's kind of old. You know, it's kind of sad to see him aging uh, i thought he was ageless um i think also, we all did yeah i mean what's going on there it's like no it, it can't happen like i um yeah I mean, I, he's still, I mean, to be fair to him he still scored the most goals in Serie A this year so like he is kind of ageless but yeah also, but but you know, scoring Ronaldo. the most goals in Serie A, i don't know i mean that's like uh yeah i mean it is, it is something yes of course it is something yeah. but uh, yeah like slatan ibrahimovic scored a lot of goals this season and he's Nearly 40. Oh, no, he is 40, I think, isn't he? All right. I mean, scoring the most goals in Serie A is sometimes like being the nicest guy in prison. So I, I don't know how, how <laughs> well it is. Uh, so I, I'm not sure. I mean, yeah, that, of course, it's an achievement and like we, we shouldn't count him out. But uh, I think uh, I look at some of his international outings uh, or like his outings uh, in, in, in the in the Champions League and so on. I think like, all right, maybe he's not that good, uh, that good anymore. Still outstanding, but, you know. Uh, has dropped off a little bit, and and the rest of the team, there are all some, of course, some players who are tremendous, um, but there are also s- some question marks. Um, so I'm I'm not sure about it. Uh, but but Portugal are a hard team to assess. I mean, just look back at 
at at uh, recent tournaments where they uh, you know ended up winning one, <laughs> which is uh, kind of tremendous. Um, and there's also always one team that's uh, exceeding expectations, like the last time Croatia, of course. Um, so so I'm 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 not sure I'm not sure what's what's what, what will happen, but I think uh, Germany might reach to come to, back to your question. I might reach the quarterfinal, and then it really depends on on who they are facing. Also, so maybe on a on a final note, in the past. Uh, Germany usually exceeded expectations. I mean, in the pre-Löw era, you know, usually Germany beat expectations. Uh, even when they were not uh, as good of a team, they still beat expectations when they entered these tournaments. And that was kind of the tournament mentality, as it was called in Germany at the time. You know, like or, uh, uh, Germany being a tournament team, um, just, you know, f- grinding down opponents. You know, just it wasn't pretty, but, you know, they just they were grinding them down with will force athleticism of course which was also always a plus for germany uh, and it was just you know where they were beating down opponents and after all they they won one way or another you know even if they beat them in a penalty shootout um i don't know how true that, that is anymore because the german national team is kind of much more like the spanish team or something you know where they are they are playing pretty and precise football and and uh, you know they they're not they're not wrestling down opponents if they are beating opponents, then you usually do it with, with a certain kind of gravitas <laughs> and a certain kind of grace and 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 yeah, precision and accuracy. Uh, so I mean, that's also the identity of the team has changed uh, heavily. Interesting. I mean, it's going to be a really fun tournament to be honest. Like, it feels like we're at this point where oh my god, we've got even more football to come. Like we've it, it's been relentless for like two years because we hardly had a break last summer but it is going to be a really fun tournament and the group's going to be really fun as well just having three amazing teams together like this um constantine thanks so much for for coming on it's been really enjoyable thanks for having me stay safe and uh, keep listening to the podcast <laughs>